When you are free, you live a life that sets other people free. God has more for you than you can ever imagine. Three words, hope, health, and healing. Amen by myself. Welcome to Midtown. Let's dive into our new sermon series. Good morning again. I see uh, some, some new faces here. I see some unwelcome jerseys. I see a Cowboys jersey out there. Um, win one game against a terrible team, and now you're trying to stun on everybody. It's all good. It's all good. So we're, we're continuing our sermon series uh, called Don't Save Me, Good News for Skeptics. So if you're skeptical of some things that you see in church, good. You're in the right place. And the title of this morning's sermon is How Hypocrisy Hurts the Church and Hinders the Gospel. So uh, raise your hand if you're sitting next to a, a hypocrite. <laughs> wow, you're sitting next to your wife. Wow. Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever been a hypocrite. Okay, okay, we're good, we're good, yes. So we're going to dive into this uh, topic. Um, everybody is talking, you know, all my friends and my, my, my threads. Before we dive into this message, everyone stayed up late to watch the Colorado game. But, no, that's not, even the, that's not even the game. The game is Sac State went down to Stanford and beat, and beat Stanford. Take that, Pac-12. Sac State's the reason the Pac-12 would no longer. No, just, um, so let's dive into this message. Sacramento, we, we, we have a problem. I want to issue an apology on behalf of, of the church, on behalf of myself. So, uh, I remember serving at a church for 17 years faithfully, and when it was time, God called us to transition out. There's a lot of things that were said about us by leadership and others, even to this day. For some of you, you've experienced church hurt from leaders, from people that you thought you can trust. Maybe they were a motherly or fatherly figure, and I, I, I want to say that I'm sorry on behalf of the church. Or maybe you're in a ministry that I'm over, and maybe I did something to you. I just want to say that I'm I'm sorry. And I, I will do better, um, but as a church, we must, we must do better. Amen. Um, amen. So let's, 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 let's dive in. This is, a, uh, this is an on-time message. And just so you guys know, this message is for all of us to really take account of where we're at. Um, I literally broke down crying three times preparing this message because God deals with me first before I ever get up here and say anything to you guys. So... Some of the best TV shows and, and movies, they have actors playing multiple roles. Can you, can you name some? Eddie Murphy's like always the first one that comes up, right? Nettie Professor. Um, what else? Martin, right? Uh, Austin Powers, all these, all these movies. Uh, if you ever watched Atlanta, Donald Glover. And then some people who watch The Office, if you've ever seen that, um, there's a master class in acting. It's Steve Carell, and he's, and he's Prison Mike, right? It's like master class in acting. But their, their costumes, their mask, and their dedication make it believable. And sometimes they're so good at what they do, you can forget that they're portraying someone. Back in 1992, I'm not going to say how old I was, but I was young. And there was this movie called Malcolm X. And I didn't know, really know who Malcolm X was. But Denzel Washington did so good in that movie, I thought the brother was actually Malcolm X. <laughs> and to this day, I still don't like Gabrielle Union because... Like, the first three or four movies I saw her in, she was just a hater. And so I thought, she did so good being a hater, I'm like, she must be a hater in real life. <laughs> but sometimes the actors get so caught up in their roles that they forget who they are. Wow. 
They said that's what happened to Heath Ledger when he played the Joker. And he's no longer with us. I don't know exactly what happened, but they said he got so caught up in that role. So someone may be asking, uh, what does this have to do with the sermon title? Could it be that those of us who proclaim to be followers of Christ have gotten so good at playing different characters that we've forgotten who we are or whose we are? Could it be that we've turned people off because they see us wearing so many different masks? They may never say anything, but they're always watching us. You don't have to be a pastor. They're watching you. This gets, I get reminded of it every single week when I'm at Sprouts or at Chipotle or I'm just at the school. And there's someone out of nowhere, what's up, Pastor O? And I'm like, you know, I'm always on my P's and Q's, but it just reminds me that, man, people are always watching you and you have no idea. So the word hypocrite, we're talking about hypocrisy. It's a Greek word, hypocrites. Uh, it's a, it means a play actor. If you ever watch ancient Greek plays and have all these different masks, depending on what emotion they're trying to embody or portray, it literally means someone who hides behind a mask. And so ask yourself, do you switch up? Is there a Sunday you, then a Monday through Thursday you, because you know it switches after you get off work on Thursday because there's Friday, there's a Friday, Saturday you that some people in church ain't never seen before. <laughs> then you go back to the Sunday you. And then there's that other you when you get your tax return, right? People start acting brand new when they get that tax return, not realizing it's just the money that you already made that they're giving back to you. Anyways, that's a whole nother sermon. Um, but it comes from two words, hupo, which means under, and krino, which means to judge, which makes sense because hypocrites usually underjudge themselves and overjudge everybody else. You're doing the same thing they're doing, but you give yourself all the grace and you give them none. There's a story of two great theologians. One theologian was a cigar smoker, however you feel about that. The other theologian was a very large man. And so the one that was very large went to go visit the other theologian in Europe. He didn't even tell him he was coming. He just knocked at his door. He opens the door. He's smoking a big cigar, takes a puff of smoke. And the one that's really large says, hey, man, how could you do that? How could you call yourself a man of God and be smoking a cigar? So he takes another puff, switches it to his right hand, and he starts to rub on the belly of the other theologian. And he said, I can smoke cigars. I can do that the same way that you do this. You see, it's easy to call out what other people need to fix and not recognize what you need to change. So again, this is for you to wrestle with. What's the area that you struggle in because you have one or two or three or 17? Um, you may not cuss, but maybe you gossip or lie. You may not cheat, but maybe you're struggle, you're a glutton. Maybe you eat too much. You might not be running yourself ragged, but maybe you don't even make time to serve at the church where you call everybody family. And so my goal is for all of us to be fully aware of every time that we put on a mask and for it to start feeling really uncomfortable when we do. Because there's times you know. I, I mess with my wife. She works for Kaiser. She has to make her phone calls and set her appointments. So she'll be yelling at the kids. Or, you know, not do this, do that, do that. The phone rings. Hey, this is Ty Kaiser Home Health. How you doing? <laughs> put on that mask really quick. And my mom used to do that growing up too. 
But that's not along the lines of hypocrisy. But understand this. Hypocrisy does hurt the church and it will destroy your witness. So some biblical background, Matthew, this sounds hypocritical. Matthew, the author of this gospel, he's actually a tax collector and an apostle. So he's like working for the man, the Roman government, and he's following Christ. Um, So his purpose in this gospel was to introduce Jesus as king, Messiah, and savior. And uh, Jesus was a serious threat to their culture or the power that they thought they had um, because he exposed their hypocrisy. And so what we'll read in Matthew 23 is a direct response to what happens in chapter 22. So the religious elite, the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, all got together, and you see this all throughout the New Testament, trying to discredit the ministry of Jesus. And at this point, Jesus is done with them. He's tired of it. And so he goes off on these religious leaders. He calls them hypocrites seven times in this chapter alone. So Jesus has the same energy he had in Matthew 21 when you read about him coming into the temple, overturning tables, and saying, my father's house will be known as a place of prayer. He also calls them snakes, brood of vipers. I'm not going to go through, like, breaking down what all these mean, but Jesus is getting at them. Blind guys. My wife was watching uh, the, the Amazing Race last night, and I was watching these different groups struggle and I'm like, man, Jesus is really going in. Imagine if you're on the amazing race and they say, you need to go from Rio de Janeiro to Oak Park. But the person guiding you is blind. Y'all will never finish that race. And this is what Jesus is saying. Because he's not talking to the religious elite at this time. He's talking to his followers. He's saying, if you follow them, this is what it's going to be for you. It's going to be destruction. You're never going to get to where you think you're trying to go. These leaders were stumbling blocks and not stepping stones. And so the big, the big picture, what I want us all to wrestle with, what I wrestle with is this question, is how do I become a stepping stone and not a stumbling block? Here's what I mean. I get discipled by Pastor Rich. I talk to Tyrone often, my brother. Every time I get off those phone calls, I feel like they were a stepping stone. I'm challenged to grow in my faith. I'm encouraged. It's refreshing. And there's other people that I meet with sometimes, not so much, right? So how do I become a stepping stone and not a stumbling block to where when people talk to me, they know that you say, I go to Midtown Church, but the way you're talking does not align at all with who you're saying that you are. So I only have two points. The first one is the longer one. It's this, practice what we preach. By practicing what we preach, Barna has a study that says 66% or two-thirds of millennials not just millennials in the world, millennials that uh, were raised in the church have dropped out. And we already can guess what the number one reason is. They say American churchgoers are hypocritical, right? They're play actors. They wear masks, or the younger folks say, that's cap, right? This is where we individually have to wrestle with the double standards in our own lives. Because this is what usually happens, right? Under judge ourselves, overjudge everyone else. When I said hypocrite, somebody else popped in your mind and not you. More than likely, oh, that pastor, that person, this coworker, your first response wasn't, the, the, I'm a hypocrite sometimes, right? And I need to work on some things. So when people say that American churchgoers are hypocrites, man, on the one hand, they're right. If you had to ask yourself these basic questions of, that a follower of Christ should be doing, um, am, who's discipling me? Am I discipling anyone? When's the last time that I shared my faith with someone? 
just some basic questions. How's my church attendance? Am I serving? Am I giving? Some of all those things, most people wouldn't have an answer. They wouldn't be able to say, man, I, I don't know when's the last time I told somebody about Jesus. I'm not being discipled regularly by someone, nor am I pouring into someone. Um, these are things that we have to wrestle with. And so there's this chart. We should have it. Uh, it's the, the lost Jesus chart. So Obviously, Jesus is God incarnate. He's, 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 he's perfection. If we want to know what God did, God would do while he walked to earth. We know what he did because he did it through the person of Jesus. And then there's the lost. So all of us who've transferred our trust and placed our faith in Jesus are somewhere on this chart. And you see where we should be trending towards. Right. We should be even if we take a step back, we should be taking a couple steps forward and moving towards being transformed and configured more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus on a regular basis, on a regular basis. But here's the thing. None of us will ever be perfect. Like, for instance, I don't, I don't cuss, I don't, I don't smoke, but if you hang around me long enough, there'll be something that you'll be like, oh, okay, that's, that's your thing, Right? But as you mature, the Bible calls it as he, as he perfects you, there should be things that as you're maturing, you just no longer do. God should be peeling that as he's pruning you. There should be things you no longer do. I, didn't, I, I forgot until I prepared this message that I used to be a thief. We'll be back to this podcast episode shortly, but we wanted to take this time to give you an opportunity to give. Why do we give? At Midtown, we believe that giving is both an act of worship and a command. And the psalmist says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So when we give, we're simply giving back to God what belongs to God in the first place. For those of you who give regularly, thank you. And if you're new around here, there's no obligation to give. We just encourage you to give however God is leading you. You can give digitally on our website or our app. But let's take a moment to pray right now. God, thank you that you have given us an opportunity to partner with you in the work that you want to do to display your goodness and your love to the world around us. So God, take this offering right now, multiply it, and use it for the good of your people and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's get back to our podcast episode. Even when I was 18 years old, had a full-ride scholarship just dumb. Going to Macy's, knew the, knew the girl that was working at the register. I would go take something at $300 and switch a tag and make it $20 and ring it up. So I felt kind of good about it because I was paying some money, but I was still stealing. And I didn't think about it until I prepared this message. Like, man, God is so good and faithful that there's things I no longer do, don't even consider doing. And some of us are a stumbling block to the lost and even those trying to grow in their faith. Again, whether you like it or not, your life is on display. And you got to be really careful on social media because it's a breeding ground for hypocrisy. Now you can think about somebody else. There's that person that pops in your mind like, man, I know you. Yeah. So let's dive into the Word. If you have your Bibles or you can look at the screen, Matthew 23, verse 1 through 3, reads this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. 
See, every Jewish synagogue, there was a seat at the front where the teacher or the person of authority would sit and teach the Word of God. So Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah or the Pentateuch. Um, and so because they were expounding on the Word of God, essentially what they're saying is, don't do what they do, but while they're preaching from this, you're still accountable to what you are hearing. And that's a valuable, a valuable lesson that I wish that I had learned back in the days because I would be in front and listening to pastors where I knew their life and they were completely, completely hypocritical and I wouldn't even listen to them. But what the Word of God is saying is we can't let the authority of the Word lose its power because of the person preaching it. So even if you know me and you know something about me, as long as I'm up here preaching to you this truth, you can come and talk to me and we can talk about, you know, areas in my life where I'm struggling or need to improve, but you're still accountable to what's going forth because it's the Word of God that when heaven and earth passes away, this Word will, will remain. And so Jesus called them hypocrites because they spoke truth but lived a lie. To them, it was all a show. They just wanted people to see them. This is why social media can be so dangerous, right? There's times where people are going to feed the homeless, but at the end of the day, God does not like the heart that we do it in because we're doing it so that people can see us doing it. And God says, those likes that you get, that's your reward. They're more concerned with looking holy than actually being holy. They're wearing masks. So I'm going to tell you guys a true story. There's a guy named Big Mo that I played football with uh, in high school. And so we would have about a 10 minutes uh, after PE to go take a quick shower, freshen up, and go to class. So, you know, all of us, I'm very self-conscious about that stuff, so every single day. But one day, Big Mo decided he wasn't taking a shower. And no one knew I'm getting dressed, I'm getting my backpack, and Big Mo's in a corner. He has his pants on, he's double-fisted with two sticks of deodorant, ain't took no shower, and he's just rubbing the deodorant sticks all over his body. True story. My dad was a campus monitor. He, he, he saw him first, and we were just weak. But here's the seriousness of this. It's only, a matter of time, it's only a matter of time before people smell what you've been trying to hide. It's only a matter of time. I guarantee you, about two class periods later, when that deodorant wasn't deodorant anymore, people started to smell what he was trying to hide, and it's no different in your life. You can only hide it for so long. You can only have scripture on your bio for so long before people look at who you really are. And when it comes to practicing what we preach, who's the standard? Jesus. Now, this is, exi this is exciting. Who knows what the first words of Jesus were, the first recorded words? The first recorded words are in Luke 2 and 49. Jesus is um, 12 years old, so he's just a young boy. They're at the festival of the Passover to go to with his parents. Now, I don't know why or how his parents left him, but anyways, his parents left him, and they realize it a day into the journey. They turn back around. It takes them three days to locate Jesus. And when they find Jesus, they find him in the temple, and he's asking questions. He's listening to these, these, these people of authority, and they're amazed at his understanding. And listen to what the first recorded words of Jesus are. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? At 12 years old, Jesus understood. So fast forward, what were Jesus' final words on the cross, as recorded in John 19 and 30? He's hanging on the cross, and he says three words, it is finished. 33 minus 12 for 21 years, Jesus was faithful. 
He knew as a young man, this is what I'm here to do. I got to be about my father's business. And it really messed with me because I'm asking myself, am I about my father's business so that when I meet him, he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So Jesus knew what he came to do and he did it. Then he rises from the dead three days later and he gives us the play that we should run. So if you want to make it, make it simple, um, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, all, all power and authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey what I've commanded you, which means it must force you to read your word because you can't teach what you don't know, um, and lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. That's what we're all called to do. Great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Mind takes time, mind, and strength. And then the part that I still haven't fully wrapped my head around because I know how much I love myself is love your neighbor like you love yourself. Ooh, um, that's tough. And it's actually impossible, but it is possible through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But in order to hear well done, you got to do. And in order to do, you got to go. So our relationship with God and others should speak louder than our preaching and our posting. Being about the Father's business will help us to silence these skeptics that say, you Christians just talk a good game. So again, the big idea is how do I become a stepping stone and not a stumbling block? Second point by putting justice over judgment. Instead of talking about everybody and trolling and wasting time, actually go be the church. Have you ever noticed that people who have the most to say usually do the least? Always. (laughs) People have no kids telling Annette how they should run kids' ministry. I had someone tell me how I should structure my sermons and then I went and asked them, hey, I said, you know, very genuinely, where, where, you know, where do you preach at? I said, oh, I never, I never preached before. I said, who? Who? You got to consider the source. Just the other day, um, Shannon Sharp had Chris Brown on, and he must not know, but he asked Chris Brown, like, about how do you treat a woman? And then Chris Brown was very aware. He was aware. He said, oh, oh, no, I have four baby mamas and uh, four children by four different, four different women. You got to consider the source of who are you talking to? Who are you asking for information? But on a serious note, we all can do a better job of talking less and doing more. So we must bring good news to sinners, not constant commentary about their sins, because they all know they're messed up. The only thing that separates them from us is Jesus. That's it. And so let's look at Matthew 25. Verses 31 through 40, I'm going to read the entire thing, and the, 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 the title is The Sheep and the Goats, to get this picture, to get this picture of putting justice over judgment. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You see, it's not what we declare on social media. It's what we demonstrate in the real world. The skeptics don't question. If you guys are around here long enough, you know that God uses this church and the people of this church to do an unlimited. There's, I literally cannot name all the things that uh, God blesses this church and uses this church to do from showers, you know, feeding the homeless, backpack giveaways. There's all these amazing things. And that's why we're really excited about the move because there's so many un, uh, 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 land and homes that haven't even been built yet and people that we're going to be able to bless that God's going to use us. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, am I playing my part? Am I playing my part? So let me testify about this church for a quick second. Um, when my wife and I, we, we transitioned out of a church, and we're church homeless for a little bit, and then the pandemic hit. And so we didn't have a place to go. You know, I got comfortable for a little bit just making pancakes and eggs and watching my three favorite preachers. Uh, uh, but I knew that God was calling me to find a home. It was during that time I had several conversations with Tyrone. I met with Gus. I met with Bob. Wasn't a part of Midtown. And they loved on me. Wasn't a, wasn't a part of their congregation. And they counseled me and they prayed with me. And I also noticed me and my wife were just checking out different churches. And when the churches were closed, a lot of churches stopped being the church. And I noticed about three churches in this area, Midtown being one of them, that were still faithfully serving the least of these during the pandemic. So when it was time to say yes to a church, uh, we went and checked out Midtown and SAC, and I looked around, and it looked just like this. And I've been reading in Revelations about the end times and every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And I'm like, man, this is the type of church that I can be a part of. Amen. Amen. But back to this text. Here's what stuck out to me, you guys. Here's what stuck out to me. For the first time ever reading this passage, tending to the needs of the less fortunate was just who these people were. These wouldn't have been the people on social media talking about, look, they didn't even know that they were doing something that pleased the Lord. It was just out of the, uh, the, outflow, the, the outpouring, the overflow of who they were, that they did what they did. It wasn't for reward, but they received an internal inheritance, uh, eternal inheritance. They didn't think anyone saw them, but God did. They were completely different than the Pharisees who did every single thing to be seen. From how they dressed to the phylacteries, they put scriptures, they made big boxes so you knew, ooh, they must be wise. So here's the, here's the final thought for today. We become stepping stones by discipling out hypocrisy. So we can silence the skeptics and win people back to church in a grown relationship with Jesus Christ by loving God and loving others, but we have to let God realign our own lives. He has to work in us before he can work through us. Sometimes we get that wrong. We want God to just start using us. Nah, you need to sometimes sit on the bench, right? And let God work in you first. And so here's some, here's some homework for you. Three things to consider for you note takers. Three types of hypocrisy that I must deal with. 
The first one is hypocrisy towards others. This is tough. This is the standard you hold for yourself versus the one you hold for others. Start to wrestle with that. Am, do I, am, I, am I getting at people? Am I talking about people and not really examining how I'm living my own life? The second one is hypocrisy towards self. What you say, think, or believe versus what you actually do. Is it congruent? Is what I declare versus what I demonstrate, is it in alignment? And the last one is hypocrisy towards God. And this is tough in this current climate and culture. It's what you say versus what God says. And you have to be humble to deal with that because there are some tough teachings in the Word of God. When it says bless your enemy, pray for him, like what? But Father God, this is what your word says. For husband and wives, don't let the sun set on your, on your anger. So me and my wife find ourselves, if we're in a disagreement, talking to each other and reconciling before we go to bed. There's a lot of tough teachings in the Bible, but you have to get to the point where you say, God, your word is greater than my feelings. <laughs> Amen. So discipleship will help you deal with every area you need to grow in because there's accountability. Discipleship is, is amazing how God designed it. Like the fix is in. If we all discipled each other, people would not be looking at us as a church calling us skeptics. Here's why. So Pastor Rich, meet with him regularly. He's uh, rebuking me if he needs to. He's challenging me. He's encouraging me. He's pouring into me the word of God, and he's making me better by pulling me up. And he knows the word inside and out. And it encourages me to be in my word more because I know he's going to challenge me on some things. So now I'm forced to grow, but at the same time, he's challenging me, asking me, who am I, who am I pulling up? So now he's pulling me up. I'm reaching down, and I'm praying by God, who, who can I disciple? So now he's discipling me. I'm discipling that person. And now the man that I'm discipling, I'm challenging him to do the same thing. So this kingdom, this kingdom philosophy will literally change everything. It's the marching orders that Jesus gave us in the first place. It's, discipleship is the kingdom cycle that will break generational cycles. See, the people you know and work with will see you transforming before their very eyes. The world will begin to, to see Christians who are progressively acting more and more like their Christ and less and less like their culture. Because in the world, there's always different trends. Remember back when I used to have two pairs of Air Force Ones. Back when we used to wear tall tees, right? The world always has trends and waves. But we've got to follow the word and not the waves because the waves will have you doing whatever's current. You'll catch that later. The waves will have you doing whatever's current. As I close, we have to bridge the gap between what we declare and what we demonstrate. Matter of fact, we should talk less. I'm not just saying that as someone who's naturally an introvert. I'm saying that because in James, it says, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, because human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So I'm sorry if you're someone that can talk a lot. That's what the word of God says. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, amen. You're welcome. You're welcome. We have to bridge the gap between what we post and what we practice. But here's, it, here's the last thing. There's hope for the hypocrite. So if I turn to Matthew 23... 
I don't know if you guys can see, I have the extra big Bible. All these red letters are Jesus just railing on these hypocrites, on these so-called, he's not talking to the common, he's talking to the, these so-called leaders. But if you look very closely, there's a point where you can see where there's hope for the hypocrite. And he clues us in on what needs to happen. So the hypocrite was outside in. Look at me. He called them whitewashed tombs. Oh, that gravesite looks very clean, but what's in it? Dead men's bones. But if you look at Matthew 23, verse 26, he tells us what needs to happen. It says, blind Pharisee. It doesn't start well, but it gets good. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Take care of the inside. That's why it says in Matthew 6 and 33, seek ye first. When you seek him first, you're taking care of the inside. You're prioritizing him and his, prayer, and his presence. Then what people see is someone who's filled with the spirit by the time you get to work. Take care of the inside first, then the outside will look clean. Jesus' anger wasn't towards imperfect sinners. It was towards sinners who acted as if they were perfect. There's folks in here that have been putting God, that have been putting on a good show for years. I know it. I know it. But the charade, if you're being honest with yourself, is exhausting. It's exhausting acting like everything's good and then dressing up nice, putting on your makeup, putting on your, your, your clothes, and then coming in here and saying, oh, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Maybe you are, but you can be honest and say, man, all hell is breaking loose in my house right now. I need you to pray for me. I, I'm having a challenge with my health. Maybe your kids is better than mine, or I don't know what it is, but you got to be real. But here's, 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 here's the thing. Jesus hates the show. This whole thing is him telling, I hate when you guys put on a show. But if you will be real and come before me broken and contrite and say, I need help, you will receive the healing and the transformation that you're looking for. When we stop acting and come real before God, we make room for the great physician to start working. And we got to have a sense of urgency. I, I, I can't even name in the last month the amount of death that has come my way. Even Jerome that's here right now, one of his players, 19 years old, dropped dead at the practice. Uh, I was with Pastor Chris and Pastor Rich. Spoke at a funeral for a young man that was 29 years old. His mom died when she was 29. That was on a Wednesday. Friday, I drove to the Bay for a, a, a friend from school that was found on the side of the road dead in the Bay Area. There's a couple I'm missing. Just the other day, someone told me their mom has stage four cancer, all these other things. Saying that to say the people of God need to move with a sense of urgency. Stop playing and saying that with this, we actually need to be who God has called us to be. And so as the prayer team comes forward, this is the, 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 the act of faith. Right? The word of God says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So all I'm going to ask you to do is to stand. If that's you today, and you're just being honest and say, man, I, maybe I'm even wearing a mask right now. I just want to pray for you. If you know that you struggle in this area, like, man, who I post and what I practice, what I say, what I actually do is not congruent. Father God, I just, I got to be honest. I want to get, I want to get right. I want to get right. I just ask that you would stand. 
so I can pray for you as we close. And maybe you're like the Pharisees in the sense that maybe you want to be seen. That's today's culture. You want the glory. But I pray that God shifts your perspective tonight because I pray that he changes it to where he gets all the glory, but you get all the grace. Because we're not built to handle the glory, but it's created us and designed us to receive his grace. So I want to pray for you guys. Father God, I thank you for every single person here. Because the truth is that we all are wrestling with some sort of hypocrisy in our lives. Maybe it's some secret sin that only you know about, that we're able to hide. Maybe it's something that the whole world sees, dear Lord. I pray that we would represent you well and that as we engage in your word, as we get discipled and get challenged and have accountability, that we would start and begin to bridge the gap on who we say we are versus who we really are. Your word of God says, as we uh, uh, abide in you and, uh, and you abide in us, we'll bear much fruit. That's how the world will know that we are your disciples. And so I pray for that change in everybody's life and everybody's perspective that we can begin to look more and more like Jesus because we prioritize your presence so that the world can no longer use that excuse because when we all stand before Christ, we can use no man as an excuse as to why we didn't follow you, as to why we didn't surrender to you. Let us no longer be stumbling blocks, though, Father God. And let us be stepping stones. Every single encounter we have with somebody, let it be a refreshing conversation. Let them look at us and say, man, there's something different about them. And then we can point them back to you, Father God. We thank you and we praise you, dear Lord. We come before you saying that. I come before you saying, I need help. I know we all do. Have your way in and through us, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. so much for tuning into Midtown Church. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for weekly messages to stay rooted in the word and for a dose of hope, health, and healing in your life. Want to get more connected to Midtown Church? Just visit us online at midtownchurch.org.